Today's gospel has to be seen against the backdrop of what took place earlier. Last week, we heard Peter accepted the grace of God to pronounce that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. Then Jesus made the first prediction of his passion. Peter, however, saw no value in a suffering dead Messiah, and he rebuked Jesus to set Jesus straight on the matter. But Jesus, in return, rebuked Peter for retreating to the safety of thinking like human beings do. Later, as recorded in chapter 9, verses 2 through 9, Peter, James, and John were privileged to witness Jesus' divine nature in the mystery of the transfiguration. And overwhelmed by the experience, they were ordered to say absolutely nothing until after the resurrection, and they struggled to understand what rising from the dead meant. Now, today's gospel shows Jesus trying to pass through Galilee as quietly as possible. He wanted to spend his time with his disciples. Knowing his time in this world was coming to an end, he made the second prediction of his passion. The apostles, however, paid no attention. Absorbed in their arguments about who among them was the greatest. They arrived in Capernaum and went inside the house. The gospel doesn't tell us whose house it was, but biblical scholars tend to think was the home of Peter and his family, which may have been a little awkward for Peter, still stinging from that confrontation he had with Jesus and overwhelmed by the experience of the transfiguration, which he was ordered not to talk about. And you can almost visualize Peter's wife sensing that something was just not right, going up to her husband saying, honey, what's wrong? And what does he do, do like all men do? Nothing. Just gave a blank stare. And Jesus asked the apostles, what were you arguing about on the way? Now Jesus is God. He knew their thoughts, just as he knows yours and mine this very moment. Still, he genuinely delights in listening to us as if what we have to say is the first time he's aware of it. And did you notice the two words that framed Jesus' question? The way. It means the path of discipleship with Jesus, which in turn means that any other way, such as jockeying for power or influence, arguing who is the greatest, leads one away from Jesus. The apostles remained silent. They didn't dare answer the Lord. Partially they were afraid. They saw what happened to Peter earlier, and partially they were embarrassed. In chapter 6, verses 7 through 13, they were empowered by Jesus to cast out demons, cure the sick, and preach. They were successful, but only through, with, and in their personal relationship with Jesus. And twice now they have blocked out the reality that to be part of Jesus' kingdom is to accept the suffering and death Jesus must endure. So they 
so we can be delivered from our suffering that otherwise would have no meaning and our death that would otherwise be eternal. Their thinking as human beings do about who is the greatest had taken them off the way, disconnected them from Jesus, and it threatened the unity of that early church. So Jesus did three things to get them back on track. First, he sat down. We think, well, what's the big deal? He sat down. That is the position of a teacher. Teachers in those days sat. Students stood. He sat down. He was about to teach. Second, he gave the lesson. If anyone wishes to be first, he shall be the last of all and the servant of all. Third, he gave a demonstration by bringing a child into their midst. And I like to think it was Peter's child or perhaps Peter's grandchild. A child in that day was immediately part of an extended family of parents and siblings, aunts and uncles, with their spouses and children, grandparents, all often living under the same roof or at least in very close proximity. And children were exposed to the world of work very early on, and they were expected to contribute their labor to the family as soon as possible. There was no such thing as childhood as we moderns have. A child was a blessing from God with great potential for the future of the family and to serve the family. So when Jesus brought that child into the midst of his apostles, he was telling them that the father so saw so much potential in them as in that child, but it was imperative. They recapture the wonderment and the awe of being created by God for a purpose. So many of us forget that. That the gift of life is not just for oneself, but it's for others. And to return to a radical awareness that littleness and service are not things to be dreaded, but avenues to become authentically oneself because they bring one into relation with others, arguing about who is the greatest. It's ultimately destructive to the self, to why God created the human person, and it is destructive to others, and in this case, the church. Jesus also gave an additional teaching. Whoever receives one child such as this in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but the one who sent me. Jesus personally identifies then with the littleness of the child, filled with the plentitude of possibility. Jesus' suffering and death, his resurrection, will be mankind's liberation from darkness. In receiving the child, the apostle receives none other than Jesus, who can, as he has had so many times before, brought about great things in their lives. And he will for anyone in a relationship with him, because it is not just him one receives, but the Father who sent him, meaning one is grace to be received into the very love that the Father and the Son share. 
Now, do the apostles understand any of this? Did they understand the lesson? Oh, not at all. How do we know that? From verse 38. The lesson was concluded, and the apostle John began to whine about a man who is casting out demons in your name, Jesus, but he's not of our group. But the real issue is, do we understand what Jesus is teaching? Do we allow ourselves to use the grace to think like God and see the potential within ourselves and with others? Or, like the apostles, are we clueless and we settle for thinking as human beings do?